for a few weeks in early spring, the only sounds that I heard were those of songbirds and sirens. The country battled to protect the NHS, save the lives of people struggling to breathe. The world was being forced to stop, pause and let the planet draw a collective breath. I'm Ros Miller, a mid-career medic who found herself disillusioned about healthcare in the UK long before the lockdown of 2020. Songbirds and Sirens is for anyone interested in the biggest challenges medics face today. How to practice the basic tenets of being a good doctor, simply caring for people safely, while simultaneously delivering the latest medical advances in a world of rapidly changing technology and instant gratification. From the highlands of Scotland to the hidden doors of Harley Street, I have found two consistent things. One, medics don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to do a bad job. Exactly the opposite, we want to help people, to have the time to care for our patients and to do our very best for them. And number two, patients, regardless of whether they are down and out or a dame, all crave exactly the same things, to be seen, to be heard, and to know that for a moment in time, at least someone cares. Songbirds and Sirens is the start of a conversation society needs to have with itself. For me, it's the chance to catch up with colleagues and some friends to find out how the last few months have changed their perspectives and influenced their values. What do surgeons and property landlords have in common? I catch up with Donna McCluskey, who, following a back injury, was forced to change her career as a pub landlady. Donna has forged a new passion in property, both as a developer and an educator. 2020 has proved to be one of the most challenging years, with people worried about their livelihoods and their homes. Donna describes how her journey to becoming an ethical landlord has empowered her to do what she loves. Turns out, surgeons and landlords share a common purpose, helping people and providing reassurance in times of uncertainty. Donna also reveals the secret of why a healthy mindset enables ethical landlords to embrace whatever curveball the universe throws at them. So, Donna, tell me a wee bit about yourself. And by the way, cheers. Cheers to you too, Oz. Hi. So, my name's Donna McCloskey. I live in the Midlands, just outside Coventry. I've had a big monumental birthday during the lockdown, turned the big 5-0. That was different, not how I'd planned it. But yeah, that was one of the changes of the way we are at the moment. Absolutely. My background has been always running pubs, nightclubs and restaurants. Did it from a very young age. In fact, I fell into it. Started collecting glasses in my uncle's pub when I was 14. And um, despite many attempts to pull me away from that, I fell straight back into that every time. I studied law three times and three times went back to the pub trades I even did accountancy at one point, but then came back to the pub trades. So it was obviously what drove me in and what I was passionate about. I did become quite successful. I went from glass collector up to owning and running nightclubs. Won some accolades, pub manager of the year for Mitchells and Butlers UK-wide. So that was a great achievement. So I thought I did well in what I did, but couldn't see any going further. And I remember having a chat with, I think it was Trev actually, saying that I didn't want to be Peggy Mitchell. You know, I had the two boys and I didn't want to be that old landlady, you know, in the pub. So I wanted an exit plan, but, you know, I didn't really know what else to do. But yeah, that was a big fear back then, being that person. <laughs> Get out of my pub. <laughs> 
But yeah, I ended up then having a bit of accident at work and hurt my back, which put me out of action for a long time. And I ended up having spinal surgery. So it was a bit of a sit down and think about things for a moment. I had no choice. I was laid up at home and terrified of what was to come next. I didn't think I could physically or mentally, to be honest, go back to where I was. And it was quite a scary place. So I fell into property. Homes Under the Hammer, Martin Roberts, became absolutely obsessed with it and thought, you know, that's something we can do. And read his book, started doing, you know, a little bit investigating about how that would look and what we could do. And found myself on a property education course and built a property business from that and never looked back, I suppose, do property full time and absolutely love it. So the properties that you do, are they... All types of properties, baby buy-to-lets, HMOs, what's your kind of average tenant, if you like? We do quite a range. We do a lot of baby buy-to-lets for single families, single lets for families, really. They're in Coventry. We do HMOs, predominantly for young professionals. We've got some around the Coventry Hospital, just small four-bed ones there. And our biggest and favourite strategy, really, is taking the commercial buildings, big old dentists, accountants, offices, bed and breakfast, we've done all the former, and turning them into nice high-end flats. That's our favourite thing. That's what we do mostly. And what are the challenges you've had um, posed to you from the letting perspective and just from the whole property strategy bit? What's been the biggest challenge for you? I'd say right at the beginning, it was quite a frustrating place and a little bit scary because the misinterpretation from guidelines from government a lot of our tenants thought they just didn't have to pay their rent. So all of a sudden, income stopped overnight, which was kind of like, whoa, this is going to be a really terrible time for everybody, including us. And we were really worried about the business at that point. As we got into the first month of it, people started to settle down. The furlough pay come, self-employment grants were being talked about, and people were being furloughed. It gave a little bit more of a safety net for people and a lot of people realised actually they were okay and rents began paying again. We had a few voids, a couple of our student properties, obviously students went home. So there were a few voids, but the business was strong enough to sustain where we were at. So although it wasn't a growth period for it, it was more about clamping down the hatches a little bit and just a little bit of cash flow analysis and just keep things ticking over. But we didn't detriment too much from it. Once we got into it, it was okay. It was just a fear at the beginning, I think, for everybody. Yeah, that unknown part, I think, for everyone across everything was just, you know, what's happening. And it was the rapidity at which it came. You know, one day we were kind of looking at people in Italy getting ill from skiing and you're kind of thinking, yeah, boom, the next day it was on us and just suddenly having to adapt. And it's interesting, you've got a very, very property portfolio had you just had HMOs and student HMOs would you have been impacted more do you think oh yeah yeah I think if our whole portfolio had been just that strategy and all the students because we do quite a lot of international students in Coventry as well they've got two big universities so if that had been our whole income I'm not sure it would have been as comfortable as it was because uh, we've got quite a lot of diversity got some family lets that were fine got some young professionals in flats some company lets as well and because it was varied and obviously the hospital lets were you know everybody was busy working on that side so yeah it didn't impact it took a dent but the overall impact wasn't too bad 
And was that part of your strategy when you first started doing property to have, you know, they talk about multiple streams of income or diversity within a portfolio. Did you consciously make a decision to do that or did it just sort of happen? No, that was definitely conscious. The commercial stuff that we do, the bigger stuff, that was kind of like an accident. We found a building and ended up converting it very much out of our comfort zone very early on in our journey. But once we'd done it and realised we could do that, we enjoyed that strategy. But yeah, the HMOs, the baby wide lets are the foundations. So having taken an education, we learned an awful lot about diversifying a portfolio. So we have many different strategies just in case, you know, different market turns have different impacts. You know, landlords generally get a bit of a bad reputation, particularly private landlords. And definitely at times like this, where there is a kind of crisis and there's big fears about people losing their homes and, as you say, not being able to pay rents. Um, Is that a fair assessment that the public have of landlords? And if not, how would you challenge that? No, no, I don't think it is. I think, don't get me wrong, there are bad landlords out there. But I think it's where you sit on the whole moral value of, of how you do your business. For us, we provide very high standard accommodation. We provide it at fair price. We follow all guidelines with safety, fire safety, everything is key. We work very closely with Coventry City Council where we take emergency housing into some of our HMOs, our smaller ones, where there are difficulties with getting people housed. It tends to be single guys coming out of relationships or coming off issues, personal issues that tend to come to us. But yeah, we try to do our best in that way and follow the guidelines and we were accredited. You know, we try to do everything the best we can to make sure that we just provide in safe, good houses for people who need them. And in order to be able to do that, you said that you did a course. You've clearly got your wits about you. But, you know, having done a course and being part of a community that exists specifically for property has that been beneficial oh gosh yeah absolutely being part of a massive network where you can reach out when times are tough or get some advice if there's something you don't know or when legislation changes you're the first one kept up to date is great and and more than that it's a group of amazing people we've made some amazing friends and how did that help during the sort of the initial periods of lockdown when that fear was there because certainly you know for me I was watching the news every day and hourly it was just you were almost watching that ticker of deaths going up and it just felt you know really suffocating that this is what we were facing. There was then a bit of negativity which I actually think has got significantly worse now that we're starting to get into the easing phase with politicians being politicians the the community that you surround yourself by and people that you have in your group did that help in any way more from a kind of getting your head straight perspective yeah yeah absolutely right at the beginning I was panicked when they were doing the five o'clock update right at the beginning we'd be glued to that listening to what was going on there was a lot of fear instilled absolutely had I have just been independent if it had just been myself and Trev at that time with no one to talk to about what we do, because our our friends and family don't do what we do. So, you know, they don't understand how it works. So I think had I have not had the community that I'm in to soften that, talk to about and realise, I think that made massive difference. Everybody was 
experiencing new things daily and was able to interpret different things differently and give advice and support and yeah just support each other and and give a warmth more than anything as well yeah and do you find that being surrounded by positive people helps you to stay positive yourself oh absolutely yeah I think no matter what you do if you're in a group of negative people that they're going to sort you down and make you feel pretty rubbish yeah surrounding myself with a group of people that are go-getters positive you know anything can happen if you put your mind to it attitude has definitely helped our development personally and in our business and yeah I don't think I ever want to change that at all and your own personal achievement within property I mean now clearly you're a hugely professional businesswoman within your own right um, you won the pub landlord lady of the year have you had any similar accolades in property within the industry where we are within our education community they do hold awards and in our first year it was called the Allier profit of the year award legacy that was supported by make-a-wish which was amazing And then the following year, we were inducted into their USA Hall of Fame. So that was great, a trip out there and a couple of weeks out there enjoying that. So, yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, we've been recognised for what we do and it it does make you feel good. Absolutely. And how's the, because it's very much had an educational feel to it. And certainly having done the course where you go down and have a three-day fairly intense bit on every aspect of property. How has the industry pivoted with um lockdown yeah i think there's been quite a lot of significant changes and some interesting things happen the way that our our education company works it's all live events people getting together the networking is critical and obviously with the lockdown that stopped it couldn't happen so everything has been pushed online so a lot of the courses we offer are online which has still been great just not having the network as such but I think as an industry in the whole what has happened is that there are I'd even say hundreds of want-to-be gurus that have appeared out the woodwork all over social media that you know saying that the best and come and join their course and join their course it feels a little in your face at the moment and a lot of saturation with all these guys that are trying to make a business and take advantage which is great but it feels like it's been swamped in our industry all of a sudden so it, that's not the positive one. So on the one hand, it's become more accessible, which is great. But then the flip side, as you say, you now have social media with that influx. What advice would you give to somebody to filter through that as to what things should they be looking for, for not just education and property, but any sort of online education thing? Is there any sort of guidance that you think would be useful for somebody to think about? I definitely do some background checks into these people. There's a lot of solo people out there saying that they're, um, you know, they've got multi-million pound portfolios and, you know, none of their own money and things like this. But actually, a lot of them don't even own property. To do some actual personal checks on the people that are selling, having experienced a good education and a product that did what it said on the tin, if you like, I had great success off the back of an education then I would be looking to advise that you stay with one of the bigger companies, not the little one-man bands. There's a lot of good free advice out there as well, so don't get sucked into paying individuals for information. Stick with the bigger guys out there that you can do some background on, that you can research and 
do what they say they're doing on a big scale and I've got the experience behind them to back it up. And so one of the things that you've touched on there is the internet and the World Wide Web has now made essentially knowledge for free. You know, gone are the days of Encyclopedia Britannica being sold for a thousand pounds by a door-to-door salesman. So if you set your mind to it, you probably can find all the information online yourself. But certainly for us, doing a course and being part of a community just meant that there was a whole value in the people that were around us and mentoring and coaching. You've obviously gone through that process yourself and now indeed are a coach. For you, what's that process been like and what do you like about coaching and do you think that translates into purely a virtual community? Yeah, what I like about having come through the way I did and having having that one-to-one personal an interaction. Yes, you can read an awful lot on the internet. Yes, you can read a book that talks about property investing. Yes, you can read about a lot of the different strategies that are out there. But being part of a network or association that then takes that education and helps you take the action and work with you on a one-to-one basis, guiding and coaching you with a mentor is invaluable because it's easy. Knowledge is amazing, but without action, you know, it's useless if you want to make a success of something. So it's very key that you take what you learn, which is everywhere. You can see the actual information for free, but what the community gives you is the drive and the support to turn it into reality, whereas you just can't read that. And would you be happy doing coaching now on just purely online, or is there something about being in person, you know, physically with people that you really enjoy? Yeah, I think there's something about being able to sit down with someone on a one-to-one basis and I know things like Zoom like this have made it a lot easier to see people and it is a step up from a coaching call on a phone but I think there's definitely something about sitting down at a table having the piece of paper in front of you or the laptop working together working through it that I think adds value definitely when I'm being coached I prefer to be in person so that relays to when I am coaching I prefer to be in person. Yeah, and I think it's partly about that committing bit that you have. I mean, it is a hassle. You do have to take some time out of your life to travel and show up. And if you're going to invest in that, then you're going to invest more and show up as 100% as opposed to half-hearted, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people can come on calls and, you know, they might have other things you can't see. Other screens, books, pieces of paper, things going on in the background they're still listening to. But when you're sat one-to-one with someone, you know, it's all in. Absolutely. So I want to take you back to sort of beginning of the year, January, February time. When did you first become aware of COVID coronavirus? Not very early on. I'm not one for watching much television or news and I don't read newspapers either. So I find out a lot of information secondhand, be that good or bad. So I was probably one of the latter ones that really, really started paying attention to it. I suppose I really noticed it. We were, me and some girlfriends were due to go out to Tenerife. So I started to get an interest when I realised it might impact that holiday, I think was the (laughs) big thing. It's kind of like, oh dear. Um, So that was a week or so before, it's the week before St. Patrick's Day, because that was the week we were going to be away. So that's when I really started paying attention. I suppose not long before that, I was aware of it, but not, like you said before, you know, it was out there. But when it's not actually impacting you, it's kind of, it wasn't on my radar as much. And then, so boom. if that was probably beginning of February, that you kind of started to have an awareness. 
let's go back to end of December, beginning of January. What was life like for you then? Hmm. Busy. I'm always busy. And even when I try and get myself as organised as I can, it's busy. Part of what I do, mentoring and coaching, takes me all over the UK. So my diary was my biggest challenge, trying to run the businesses we have here because it's the coaching business. It's actually our property portfolio business, the management side of it, and we have a construction business. So trying to juggle all them things when every other week you're away from home for three nights was quite a challenge. And I just felt that I was always booked. I felt like I was always, there was never a rest time ahead that I could look forward to. It was always fast-paced and very, very busy. In the next episode, Donna and I chat about her life during lockdown and she recalls her past experience of being a patient. In a career that spans a decade as a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, working both in the National Health Service and the private sector, I've had the privilege of meeting and treating fascinating individuals from all walks of life, from single mums and factory workers to actors, business leaders and politicians with the occasional lord and lady along the way. This moment in time has brought fear, but also hope, and most importantly, an intense desire for change. It's up to society, not politicians, not governing bodies, and not the media, to decide what our collective future should be. You can follow Songbirds and Sirens via Facebook, Twitter, or on Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to find out more, or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, please get in touch.